Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Randomly Accessed, your entertainment-based podcast discussing film, television, and sometimes gaming, presented by MX. And in today's episode, we will be looking at the Oscars for 2021. We will be primarily discussing the Best Picture nominees, the ultimate winners, and I'm going to discuss a little bit about the ceremony as well, my overall thoughts, but I primarily want to go through the Best Picture nominees and discuss a little bit about them and give my recommendations and which of the nominees you should watch. Before I start discussing the Best Picture nominees, I want to just give a brief thank you to people who listened to the very first episode and also will say that in this episode, we will avoid spoilers. This is just going to be primarily overview of the Best Picture nominees and just me discussing aspects about them, but we will have no spoilers in this episode. So now we're going to discuss the Best Picture nominees for 2021. I'm going to start it from my least favorite to my favorite and ultimately what I think should have won Best Picture. And right now we're going to start with Trial of the Chicago 7. It comes from writer-director Aaron Sorkin, and it tells the story of the Chicago 7. It's a group of different people fighting for democratic ideals, and they were specifically arrested for protesting the 1968 Democratic National Convention and the subsequent trial of these men. So to start off, I did enjoy this movie. I just think that it is not Aaron Sorkin's best. It's always entertaining. I think Sorkin has always been a talented writer, and some of my favorite films are from his screenplays. For example, Social Network, which was not directed by him, but the screenplay was written by him. His snappy dialogue and his cleverness is always very fantastic. And I just wanted to keep watching this movie. Like I was very entertained when I started watching it from the beginning to the end. I didn't want to stop. That's a testament to how good Aaron Sorkin is. Another thing about this movie that I really enjoyed was Sasha Baron Cohen. He's fantastic in this movie. He's always been a very funny and charismatic actor. You know, if you see movies like Borat, Bruno, it's not very common that you see him in these more dramatic roles. And in this one, it is a more dramatic role, but he's still like a very comedic character. He plays like this hippie character. That's a bit of a smart ass throughout the movie. And it's pretty funny. His moments with other characters, especially he has like these clever comebacks. He's a very smart person. I don't know if that's a testament to Aaron Sorkin or the real life person that he's based off on. But overall, Sasha Baron Cohen is the highlight of this film for sure. Eddie Redmayne is also the main protagonist of the film. He plays this character that's the leader of a student group in the movie. And he's always involved with fights with Sasha Baron Cohen's character in the movie. Whether they're having disputes of the way they're going about the court proceedings. They discuss like, okay, what do we need to be doing next? Should we be talking to the press? Should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? And their tensions throughout the movie, I think, are excellent. And it makes for very entertaining film overall. But this is the biggest thing against Trial of the Chicago 7. It's not the most entertaining subject matter. And Aaron Sorkin has done other courtroom dramas before. An example would be A Few Good Men. And it reminded me of the most in this film. You had Tom Cruise in it. You had Demi Moore. You had Jack Nicholson. You had a bunch of famous people in that movie as well. But Aaron Sorkin didn't direct that film for one. And it is primarily based off his own play. So he adapted it for the film. And overall, that courtroom proceeding, that stuff could get kind of dry depending on what it's about. And for me, even though I was invested in the film, I just don't think the movie as a whole was not up to snuff. 
I think that Aaron Sorkin is a very talented writer and unfortunately his directing skills are not at that level. Another film that I saw from Aaron Sorkin that he wrote and directed was Molly's Game, which I enjoyed a lot more than this film in particular. I think Molly's Game It's subject matter about these celebrities that are hanging out and they're playing high stakes poker and this scheme that the main protagonist is trying to run in that movie is much more entertaining than this film. But the problem with that movie is that it's not the most creative in terms of its visuals, in terms of the cinematography in that film. It's very serviceable, but I think there's a lot of strength in, for one, the main protagonist, which in that movie was Jessica Chastain. She was fantastic in that movie. The script was much more entertaining. It was easier to understand, I would say. But in this movie, a lot of it seems very surface level, very serviceable. The script is, I think, pretty strong. But I just felt that everything about the way it was presented was just very boring. It was very bland. It's like reverse shot, you know, character talking reverse shot. It wasn't the most entertaining way of telling the movie. It just felt very serviceable, in my opinion. And the other thing is, like, it is fun to watch, like, in the moment, especially when Sasha is talking with these characters. Unfortunately, I have a hard time remembering the names of a lot of the people in the movie. The movie itself doesn't really seem memorable. And especially the ending of the movie, it's a little bit out of left field. I will not spoil it because I'm not going to discuss spoilers in this, but it just felt very schmaltzy. It didn't feel satisfying. Now, I know that this movie is based off real life events, and a lot of times that's not going to fit your narrative, but you know, I'm willing to give creative license when it comes to movies because it's a movie, ultimately it's supposed to entertain you or supposed to, unless it's a documentary, then I don't really care what happened in real life. I'm just trying to get an entertaining movie, but there's a lot of parts that you can tell either exaggeration, which is not really the problem, but a lot of the exaggeration either distracts from what actually happened or it wasn't just satisfying. It was like annoying and serviceable. Certain things are also kept from the audience. I don't know if it really made for a very satisfying climax, in my opinion. So overall, I'm going to say that it's a very serviceable film. It's got pretty good performances. The writing is excellent as always, but it's missing a lot of the creativity that in other areas that I think made it lacking for an Oscar nominee, especially. I remember reading recently a Hollywood Reporter review where they were comparing this movie to like a TV movie. And honestly, I would agree with them. This doesn't really feel like a cinematic movie at all. And granted, it was produced by Netflix, but Netflix has produced higher quality films than this one. This is my least favorite of the nominees. And let's move on to Promising Young Woman. It was written and directed by Emerald Fresnel, and it is primarily a revenge story. It is about a woman seeking to avenge the death of her best friend after she had been raped in college. Now, the movie is very interesting. It's very much a genre mix of primarily horror, comedy, a little bit of romance, and primarily revenge. It kind of has a satirical nature to it plays up a lot of tropes found in these movies and it's pretty unique in that respect. Another thing that I really enjoyed about this film was the colorfulness of it and its colorfulness in terms of not only its production but also especially the music. The music sometimes was very contradictory to what was going on, plays up a lot of laughter and it does have like a bit of ridiculousness to it in certain scenarios. But it also, at the same time, made it look ridiculous, but it also highlighted a lot of evil things that happen, especially to a lot of women. 
the biggest thing about this movie is the lead, which is Carrie Mulligan. She is excellent in this movie. Her character can show crazy, can show sadness, and she's pretty a sympathetic character. And considering her past roles, where she's kind of played like a kind of like a sideline character, you could tell that she had a lot of fun in this role. She was very entertaining. She had a lot of sass to her. And for me, I was pretty impressed with her performance. Now, for me, there's a lot of problems with this movie, in my opinion. I think that there's similarities to the movie Joker of 2019, where there's a lot of caricatures in the film and in the movie Joker. A lot of the minor characters play up exaggerations of real things, especially the college culture. And so for some, this can be pretty annoying. And for me, it, I felt that way. A lot of these men were beyond ridiculous. Like it didn't seem like a normal person would do these kind of things. Now, obviously, for the film to play it up this way, I think was smart, but also just a bit annoying. It didn't really resonate with me personally. And the over the topness can be pretty aggravating, in my opinion. Either it went over my head or I just didn't really resonate with it. And some of the writing wasn't really strong, in my opinion. I felt like they were kind of having to try it both ways. It's like they wanted the movie to talk about something very serious but also made light of it in the same way. And that satirical approach sometimes doesn't always work. I think this is more preference than anything, but ultimately for me personally, I just didn't think that the mix of satire and seriousness in this movie really worked to its advantage. I don't know, some of the humor was just not really funny. It is pretty unique, the film, but I just don't think that it was really like best picture worthy in my opinion. Even though this film had won best original screenplay at the time of this recording, I just didn't think that this movie's screenplay was all that. Like I said, the dialogue doesn't really feel genuine. And I would have personally voted for Minari in best original screenplay, but that's beside the point. So overall, on this movie, I am a bit mixed. I think it's a very unique spin. And it very much speaks to the Me Too era, but I just don't think it worked for me. I think that Carrie Mulligan did a fantastic job and she was incredibly solid in this movie. And now let's discuss the next movie on my list, Nomadland. Written and directed by Chloe Zhao and starring Frances McDormand as the lead, it is the story about Fern who had recently lost her husband and she drives across America as a nomad. She goes from place to place looking for work. The movie is filled with a lot of real nomads and it's a stellar look at the nomadic subculture filled with a lot of their customs, beliefs, and the real people behind the movie. Now, to start off, Frances McDormand is excellent in this movie and she's no stranger to giving exceptional performances either. This performance overall is very subdued and it's a lot of it just living out her life as Fern. She does mundane things fixing her van, working, and, and there's also some interesting parts like, you know, using the bathroom in her van, finding a place to sleep, and even talking with people that actually have homes in the movie. And she fits exceptionally well with the other nomads in this film. You sometimes forget that she's not an actress in this movie, so that's a testament to her performance. The Midwest is also another compliment of this film. I think the cinematographer in this film does an excellent job of capturing a lot of the natural light. And I was thoroughly impressed with a lot of the, the scenery changes and her just doing like very simple things in the movie was also very impressive to me. I think Chloe Zhao, I think she does a great job at directing in this movie. Considering that there were a lot of extras in this movie and that the crew was very minimal, 
I think that she does an excellent job at handling like the real people, especially and handling her crew. I think it was a very well directed movie. And so I wasn't surprised that she won Best Director this year. And I think for me, the main issues primarily stem from the script itself. I think Fern, Frances McDormand's character, I don't think that she really has an arc in this movie. For me, it feels like she goes like full circle, especially the ending I didn't really feel was very satisfying. I think the beginning was very interesting. And then the middle part, especially, was pretty strong. The ending for me just felt kind of hollow. And so it didn't really leave a good impression on me personally. Honestly, I would have been better served this movie had it been a documentary. I think that utilizing actors and then these real people, I think it blended really well. But because there was no real cinematic experience to me in terms of there being like an arc to her character, I just thought that maybe it shouldn't have been a movie to begin with. But that's just my opinion on this movie. I think that overall, it is a very solid film. I think that looking at the subculture of nomads in this film was great as well because it discusses these older people that are living as nomads after the Great Recession of 2008. So a lot of people had lost their home and they decided to move. And so I never knew that. So it was very interesting to get like this perspective of these people in this movie and how they make their lives. Despite their difficulties, they make them at least they try to have happiness despite of their situation. And I think that was very interesting to know about this movie uh, going into it. And Frances McDormand, as always, she gives a great performance. And so I would recommend this film, even though I don't really think that it should have won Best Picture. Let's continue on with our list. Next up on our list is Mank. Directed by David Fincher, written by Jack Fincher, it is a biographical account of Herman J. Mankiewicz and his involvement and the development of the movie Citizen Kane. The film is shot in black and white, pays homage to old Hollywood and some of the corruption that occurred during that time. This movie was very high up on my list in terms of very excited to watch last year. As a fan of David Fincher, who's made films like The Social Network, Zodiac, Fight Club, just to name a few, I was very, very excited to see this movie. And also in preparation for this film, I had watched Citizen Kane twice before watching this movie. So I was very much excited to watching it. Gary Oldman, who plays Herman, or Mank as he's called in the film, I think he does an excellent job portraying this character. We see a lot of the, his escapades for writing for the studios and his constant drunkenness, his battles with very powerful people in the film. And Gary Oldman can drunk act for sure. The drunk acting in this film was excellent. I've seen a few drunk people and <laughs> he was incredibly convincing. If he wasn't drunk in, in some of these shots, I would be very surprised. He had some very funny moments in the film that worked really well. And also the utilization of the black and white cinematography obviously fits the themes that they're trying to go for in this film. It didn't feel tacked on either. A lot of times some movies they like to put in black and white just to make it seem more serious, what have you. But in this film, it plays homage. It fits exceptionally well to the times and it fit the tone exceptionally well in this movie. Also, a big thing was the production in this film. I love seeing like, you know, the costumes, the old logos, their discussions of old Hollywood was very interesting. And the ensemble cast in this film is incredibly solid, especially I think Amanda Seyfield, who plays Marion Davis, an actress who was married to William Hurst, who was a rich tycoon, who is the basis of the character Charles Kane in Citizen Kane. And I just really liked a lot of aspects of this film. 
So why isn't really higher up in the Best Picture nominees? I think a lot of problem lies with this film is that it works really well as a companion piece to Citizen Kane. I even saw a joke where someone compared it as a prequel to Citizen Kane, which you can kind of see it that way as well. Now, I see that both as a positive and a negative. Positive because if you have seen Citizen Kane, you will pick up a lot of references, very obvious references to that movie, and also not so subtle ones. You know, there's a lot of camera work, there's a lot of angles in the film that are very reminiscent of Citizen Kane. But I also think that's also a negative to this movie. That if you haven't seen Citizen Kane, you won't get that much out of this film. So the central story is about this character Mank and it involves a lot of old politics of the time and a lot of internal studio conflict that isn't really appealing to a lot of people and understandably so. I mean that's a very niche topic. I doubt that people pay attention to studio conflicts now. Why would you want to know anything about it way back when? For me as a fan of, of movies I like to read up on that stuff and find it very interesting. I think that this movie is unfortunately too heavy on that. So if you're not really interested, then the movie itself, I don't think it really has the strength to stand on its own. I think the performances are excellent, but I just felt that it leans too much into Citizen Kane and that old politics that the central story of Mank is not the most interesting. And so it could be labeled as boring, which a lot of people have said that it's boring, which I can kind of agree with. And it's unfortunate as well. I, I don't really think this movie is boring, but it's just very niche as a Fincher fan, especially because Fincher, Fincher's movies, for the most part, are very accessible. A lot of them are thrillers. A lot of them are on relevant topics. And unfortunately, this movie is not a really relevant topic. I think this movie is very good. I think Gary Oldman gives a great performance and is supported by a great ensemble cast in this film. But the film is a little too specific in scope that it can appear as boring. And despite it being very comedic, its ending as well is not very satisfying as I would have liked personally. But I would still recommend it after you watch the movie Citizen Kane. But let's continue on our list. And next up on our list is the movie The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman and directed by Florian Zeller. The Father is about Anthony Hopkins' character called Anthony, who is dealing with dementia, and Olivia Coleman's character, Anne, his daughter, who is trying to take care of him. While the story may seem a little bit familiar, especially to a movie recently that I saw called Still Alice, its presentation is actually very exceptional. And I'm going to leave it at that. I think that Anthony Hopkins was excellent in this film, especially in a tough year. And it's a very short film, this movie. It's only an hour 30, but it packs a great emotional punch that this movie is easily recommended by me. The movie is primarily almost play-like, but its pacing is excellent. And especially if you watch the movie, pay attention to the surrounding. I don't want to say too much about this movie because I think that you should just go in and just watch the film. I think the movie is better if you watch it blind. Olivia Coleman, especially, she gives such a great performance. And I'm just going to leave this movie up to you to watch. It's highly recommended by me. And let's move on to the next movie, Sound of Metal. Directed by Darius Martyr and starring Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, and Paul Racy. And it tells the story of Ruben, who is a heavy metal drummer who begins to lose his hearing and his struggle and his journey to acceptance of his newfound deafness. Now, Riz Ahmed was introduced to me in the movie Rogue One, where he plays the pilot. Now, I didn't think of it much in that movie, 
but I absolutely love him in this role. Once again, a common theme with a lot of performances this year is that it's not very showy, but it's just very subdued this year. And Riz really encapsulates that. He plays this person who is a heavy metal drummer. The idea that especially someone who creates music to lose their hearing, it's a scary thought. Losing something that will prevent you from doing something you really love. And I thought that that was very impressive. And Riz, I think, just encapsulates that very well in this movie. I love the mixture of his stoic acting. I think that he very much looked like that kind of person. Basically, what I'm saying is that I think that he fit the character exceptionally well. And also, one thing that I really liked was that he used sign language very well. You get a lot of emotion out of him, despite him signing, or you just see him doing like very simple things in the movie like trying to learn how to do sign language, just enjoying the silence or trying to accept the situation that is in. Another character in this movie is Paul Racy, who plays his deaf mentor in this film. And he speaks and he signs throughout the film, but he also plays another deaf character. But his interactions with Riz are very exceptional as well. I think Paul brings a lot of empathy out of Riz, especially when they're talking about their situation. And one thing that you get out of this movie especially is that there's a lot of differences in the deaf community that I never would have really anticipated. There are some who in this movie who are against actually using any hearing equipment that they're, and that it's not a disability, that it's something that you just, they just have to live with. And it's just very interesting to get that perspective. Now, this movie is a smaller scale movie, very representative of this year. And I think that this movie wouldn't have gotten that much attention had COVID not been a thing. But I am happy that it got the attention that it has. Having a metal drummer losing their hearing. I think that that's just a very smart play. And I think it worked exceptionally well in this movie. The script, I think, does a good job of mixing in the hearing and the sound. And I think that us getting to get those mixed perspectives, seeing the differences in people in the deaf community makes this film stand out above a lot of the other Oscar nominees, in my opinion. I love the performances in this film. I think that the smaller scale really works and I would really recommend this film. And now let's move on to the next film, Minari. Directed and written by Lee Isaac Jung, starring Steven Yeung, Yeri Han, and Young Jong Yoon, it is about a Korean immigrant family moving to a new home in Arkansas from California. By far my second favorite of the Oscar nominees for Best Picture this year. The entire cast felt like they were an actual real family. There were so many small moments in this film that stood out to me that I'd rather not spoil, but I'll only spoil one scene. There's one scene in particular that really reminds me of the immigrant experience. And that is when the grandmother, played by Young Jung Yoon, comes in and she brings in a lot of Korean food. And the mother, played by Yeri Hung, is sniffing the food. And she's just so happy that this is like authentic Korean food. And she talked about how they would have to travel like five hours to get something similar, but it's not the same. But just that small scene alone reminded me so much of my own grandmother when she would come and bring in food and I'd be so happy as well. And I think this movie just speaks a lot to the immigrant experience. I think the whole movie is very reminiscent of like an actual memory or like a recollection, especially since Lee had written the movie. I would imagine he took from actual memories and just put them in this film. So the scale is very intimate. There's a lot of very small moments that feel very genuine 
and very memory-like. It speaks a lot to the struggles of moving to a new place, and then you ultimately make it your home. I think the screenplay for me is its strongest element. Just writing like very simple scenes together, the father and the son are hanging out, or the mother and the father are fighting. I just think that those moments wouldn't have felt as genuine if it wasn't for great writing and also the performances as well. Gary Han, I think her as the mother was, she was like very, very good in this movie. I was disappointed that she wasn't nominated for Best Supporting Actress or Best Actress in this case. But I think especially her, I was very impressed with her in the movie. I, I really liked her character. You could see that she was like very hesitant to move to this place. You see a lot of their fighting and you understand pretty much all those perspectives really well. You understand that the immigrants in this movie especially, they are trying to make this place home, but it's very difficult for anyone to really make a new place a home, especially removed from so much of your family. And especially that's why I empathize with the mother character in this movie. I understand that, you know, moving to such a place with that, especially other Korean people in this case, can make that transition extremely difficult. I think Young Jung Yoon as the grandmother in this movie, she is wild in this movie. She is funny. There's a lot of sadness comes from her character as well. I loved her performance in this film. I wasn't surprised that she won Best Supporting Actress. She very much caught the wild grandmother vibes throughout the whole movie, and I was very impressed with her. Overall, I think the movie is very, very good. It's touching, it's funny, and it's a very nice slice of life movie. It's one of those movies that you sit down and you just enjoy and just relax to it. You understand where the characters are coming from. You understand everyone so well. You learn to empathize with these characters. And I think that comes from the strength of the screenplay. And I think Lee Isaac had something really good here. I was really impressed with Minari. I'd highly recommend this one when it comes out to streaming. Let's go on to what I think should have won Best Picture. And my favorite film of this year was Judas and the Black Messiah, directed by Shaka King, starring Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. Tells primarily the story of Fred Hampton and his eventual death, while also telling the story of Bill O'Neill, who was a forced FBI informant spying on the leadership of the Black Panther Party. Now, this movie was very, very good. I was very impressed from the two leads of this Fumi. I think Daniel and Lakeith are exceptional, as they always been. I've enjoyed a lot of their works. Danny Kaluuya, when I was first introduced to him, when I watched the first episode of Black Mirror, and then when, obviously, when the movie Get Out, I think that's when he got more mainstream recognition for the most part. For me, even though in Get Out, I think that he was good, I actually think that he deserved the Oscar that he got this year for this movie. I think Daniel understand a lot of the nuances that Fred had, but I think he captured the moments of humanity. We got to see how he became such an influential figure. I think it really played well to Daniel's strengths in this movie, capturing the empathy, capturing his power, his energy, his cadence. I think Daniel absolutely killed it this year. Lakeith plays Bill O'Neill in this movie. And for me, Lakeith was good in this movie, but I just was so enamored with how his character was portrayed in the movie. It is very difficult portraying this man who would ultimately betray Fred Hampton, hence the, the metaphor of Judas and the Black Messiah. And Bill O'Neill, I think, unfortunately, it, it is a very complicated situation with him. And I think depending on your perspective, you see things differently, whether or not you empathize with Bill O'Neill or you're completely against what he does in the movie. 
And I think that speaks well to Lakeith's performance as well. We're able to see this conflict. We're able to understand his fear, his trepidations in this movie. And I think Lakeith, even though he didn't get the powerhouse performance of Daniel, I think that he is a nice counterbalance to him in this movie. And I just was so impressed with these two performers. The film's score and setting in this movie is excellent. I think the score is very scarce throughout the movie, but it's a nice mix of blues. You know, you got the little bit of jazz thrown in there. But I like that it's not overbearing either. The songs come in when they need to pack that little emotional punch. And they work so exceptionally well to what's happening in the movie. And the setting as well. Like, you know, you're able to get different places, but you're able to get, you know, the scale of the city. I like being able to see different members of the Black Panther Party. And you obviously see a lot of the racism and a lot of the horrible things that happened during that time. And the other thing that kind of caught me off guard, a lot of the movie kind of plays like a crime movie. There's a lot of seedy elements in terms of there's a lot of corruption going on from coming from the FBI. And there's even moments of tension with other rival groups and who ultimately come together to support Fred. But it is very interesting to see this dynamic played out. You know, seeing how these groups react to FBI propaganda in the film or how the FBI acts so menacingly in the film as well. And I think the film's themes are exceptionally topical. There's a lot of brutality going on during these times, unfortunately. And some of these atrocities that happened in this film obviously weren't really well known. I think it's very important to know. I think that you give a lot of balanced humanity to a lot of the characters in this film. You're able to see how Fred was so charismatic. You're able to see how Bill was so conflicted. And I think Shaka King was able to bring a lot of empathy to most of the cast. We understand the situations that they're in. We see the betrayal. We see these humans working together. And we see them experience these horrible situations together as well. Unfortunately, the only thing that I'm kind of against this movie is the lead actors as well. And that's not to say not their performances, but... I just think that the age is a factor that kind of made it appear that it didn't have the impact that I think it should have. I didn't know that Fred Hampton was so young when he was killed. He was 22. Bill O'Neill lived longer until he killed himself, unfortunately. But knowing that Fred was so young and Bill as well was 17 when he was recruited by the FBI, it just made it seem that these characters were so old. There were scenes when he was like, hey boy, like, or, oh, that's a kid. I didn't get that sense from them. And I think that had the principal actors been younger, I think the impact could have been stronger. But that's not to say that the performance was, were not excellent. I just think that it helps recontextualize had they been younger, then I think it would have been easier to get even a greater impact than it already had. And I think, especially Bill O'Neill's character, has a lot of judgment, and I think that the movie does a good job of balancing out why he did what he did, but obviously, depending on how you view Bill O'Neill will depend entirely on your experience, but I think that Shaka King does an excellent job of balancing out these characters, but overall, Judas and the Black Messiah was my personal pick for Best Picture. I'm glad that Daniel Kaluuya had won Best Supporting Actor, even though he shouldn't have been up for Best Actor. I think the movie was very topical. I think the movie had excellent performances and had a great score. And I'm just really happy to have seen this film. And I think it's a great film overall. And this one would be my number one pick in terms of my recommendations for all of these movies. 
So now I'm just going to give my quick thoughts on the Oscars 2021 this year. For me, overall, I was a little mixed on most of the nominees. I think there were movies that did get nominated that deserve to get nominated. But I mean, it's, it is true for every year that there are nominees that sneak in that probably didn't really deserve to. But it is what it is. You know, the Oscars are a very political, close-knit community in terms of all these actors. I personally was a bigger fan of the Best Picture nominees more last year. Movies like Parasite, Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just think that last year's nominees were overall much more entertaining than it was this year. But I think it had to do a lot with the COVID restrictions. I think a lot of the bigger studios had postponed a lot of movies. Either the end of 2021 or sometime in 2022. I think that next year we'll probably start seeing movies that were supposed to come out in 2020 that probably will get nominated for next year, but we'll see what happens with the nominees next year. The ceremony as a whole, I think, was a mixed bag for me. I wasn't a big fan of where they were this time. I know that Steven Soderbergh was one of the producers of this year's ceremony, so they didn't cut off speeches. There was really no music. In terms of like an orchestra, there was just kind of like a DJ. I, I forget his name. But it was supposed to be like more intimate. So there were significantly less people, obviously, because of COVID restrictions and stuff. But I wasn't a big fan of the set. It kind of looked like they were in a restaurant. So it kind of was a little off-putting at first. And this year, I also didn't keep up with a lot of the award ceremonies, like the SAG Awards, the Directors Guild Awards. And so I didn't really know what was going to really win. But I think this year had a lot more surprises overall. I think Nomadland was supposed to be like the clear favorite. And ultimately, it did win like Best Picture, Best Actress. And the other awards as well, they, they seem to be heading in that direction. Even though I wasn't a tremendous fan of it, I think that probably deserved. I think that there were movies that probably wouldn't have been nominated because they were just so small. I think Trial of the Chicago 7 probably would have been left out. I think Promising Young Woman was another one. And I think Minari and Sound of Metal would have probably been left out this year. I think Mank, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Father, and I think Nomadland, obviously. They would have been the ones to continue being in the ceremonies anyway. But I, I'm glad, that especially Minari and Sound of Metal, that they were able to give a shot this year because I probably wouldn't have checked them out had there been, not been more buzz. So I am happy to see smaller movies go in. Another thing that was a big deal this year was the rearranging a lot of the categories. So you had Best Actor at the very end of the ceremony. And there was also Best Director towards the beginning of the ceremony as well. I thought that that was very weird. There's a certain order to the Oscars, and I'm a big fan of the way they have it set up prior because Best Picture is the biggest award, so putting it at the very end makes the most sense. I think the other awards, you could probably rearrange a little bit. I think Best Director should still be behind Best Picture, in my opinion, but I know that this year there was a big debacle with Best Actor, especially. Now, this year, I think, was a very strong year for Best Actor. You had Gary Oldman, you had Stephen Young, you had Risa Maher, you had Anthony Hopkins, who ultimately won, and you had Chadwick Boseman. And I recently did see Mom Raimi's Black Bottom, and I think that The Father and Mom Raimi's Black Bottom were very much play-like, but I personally enjoyed The Father more than I enjoyed Mom Raimi's Black Bottom. I think Chadwick does give a really, really good performance in that movie, but I probably wouldn't have chosen him 
I think for me, I would have chosen Riz Ahmad. I, I feel sad for the whole scenario where people were upset that Chadwick had not won. Uh, ultimately, he was taken away from us too soon. And his role in that movie was pretty good as Levy in that movie. I just wasn't impressed with the movie as a whole. But anyway, I think that this year's best actor category was stacked. I think it would have been even more stacked had Daniel Kaluuya had actually been in that category. But overall, I think that the best actor debacle was just them thinking that Chadwick Boseman was going to win and that was going to be like an emotional ending, which was a mistake on the producer's part. But anyway, that whole debacle aside, I did enjoy the most of the Best Picture nominees this year. Like I said, the only ones I probably didn't enjoy, Promising a Woman and Trial of the Chicago 7. But I think the other nominees, I think, were good to excellent. We'll, we'll see what happens for next year's Oscar nominees. I think overall this year was pretty good. Not as exciting as last year, but maybe next year will be more exciting. And we'll just have to wait and see. Also, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to this episode. I changed the format a little bit. I wanted to discuss the Oscars, but I didn't want to go too in-depth with most of the nominees. I felt that most of them I wanted to say just something really short. And next episode, we'll probably discuss two movies instead of just one. But you'll find that in the next episode whenever that one comes out. So this is just like a quick thank you to everyone who listens to these episodes. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.